This is for the free thinkers, the curious beings that swim upstream, who see possibilities, not problems, that learn from the past, live by the present, and create the future. This is the I Love Ugly Audio Show. Welcome to the I Love Ugly Audio Show. My name is Valentin Nozic, creative director and founder of I Love Ugly. On this episode, we do it a little bit differently and switch it up. This time around, I'm getting interviewed for the ICE Project podcast, which is hosted by business owner Isaac John. For those that aren't familiar with my personal story, or those who want to learn more about the behind the scenes of I Love Ugly, how it started, the mindset and marketing, this one is for you. I dive deep and chat about design, trends, marketing, business models, and what success actually looks like. This episode packs a real punch, so listen up and enjoy. Valentin Ozzes, creative director and founder of I Love Ugly. What's up, bro? What's up, man? I'm uh, uh, stoked to be on the show. Barry, thank you. Um, obviously, you've just been talking a little bit off air, but been a fan of your brand for a long time. I remember all the pieces. I remember my very first I Love Ugly shirt. Um, it had like elastane. I understand fabric now. I had elastane in it. And the first time I grabbed it, it was like this gray one, and it had this bit of a slit with a paisley. You uh, know, remember that shirt? Yeah, I never won. I never won. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, remember yeah. The, I remember the first time I grabbed it, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, I never had a shirt that was so stretchy. So uh, I've been a fan for a long right. time. I've been following your content for a long time. I've tuned into um, all your sort of keynotes that you've done as well. So I'm really looking forward to this interview. Appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. And um, as I said, a real honor to be on the show. And, uh, you know, to have someone abroad that's a fan, once again, I'm, I'm very humbled. Fuck you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Thank so- you, bro. Thank you. Um, so just a little bit off topic before talking about I Love Ugly Supreme. They sort of sold for $2.1 billion. I've seen you reshare that on your story. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's phenomenal, you know, and it really opens up the gates to um, what's, what the possibilities are for streetwear brands. Um, I think that, you know, Supreme's the OG. They've been doing it for over 25 years. Um, there's elements of their business model that I absolutely love and really try to apply to I Love Ugly. Um, I actually just had a phone conversation before this with our former financial controller, mm. and he was the financial controller at a company called Accent Group that owns the distribution rights to, um, you know, Timberland, uh, Vans, Jansport, I think it's Jansport, into Australasia. And um, he was saying that those guys are just peaking, and all of a sudden now they're actually starting to take notice of, of streetwear brands, especially vertically inclined streetwear brands. But, um, yeah, man, that, that blew me away because I know they sold – uh, James Jibia, the owner, he sold 50% of it a couple of years ago for, I think, 500 million. 500 million, yeah, I remember that, yeah. yeah. Oh, ph- phenomenal, man. But I think, yeah, it's exciting for me, it's exciting for you and any aspiring, you know, clothing brand as well. So um, it's, it's a crazy times at the moment. Uh, even just to take a quarter of that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, bro, <laughs> absolutely, man. Um, <laughs> even so- 5% of it. Yeah, so I started looking at started looking at sort of the expansion plan off the back of it. They've only got sort of twelve retail stores. Um, you talked about vertically inclined brand. Do you want to explain what that is? I understand what that is, but a lot of people wouldn't. So vertically is just basically direct to consumer. So you manufacture and you know do the design process in house, and then as opposed to going through traditional methods through wholesale and distribution, you're selling straight to the consumer. And um, you know, Supreme was the you know they were one of the originators of that. And um, yeah, that's what that's what I do. That's you know, we previously were we did do a bit of distribution um, and wholesale, but it just complicated the shit out of our business model. It complicated my life, my headspace. And the moment we cut all that, 
Um, it just all started to open up, you know, the possibilities and also just the, the margins. You get the money in your account straight away. You've got more money to play with. Um, you know, you get to control the whole process and experience for the customer and you're not reliant on such and such brand or sorry, such and such retailer. And payment terms and all that sort of shit, eh? Absolutely, man. And they want like, you know, they treat you like a bank. They want 60 day, 90 day terms, the <laughs> margins of crap. They yeah. go on sale all the time, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough road. Yeah, um, you, you dropped the podcast last year, um, How to Make a Million Dollars Selling Clothes, and at the point with YKTR, yeah. we, we were already like long past that, but the amount of value I got out yeah. of that single podcast, and it was only like 15 minutes long, was like, and, and yeah. one of the things you talked about was um, sort of um, sort of inventory, you don't have too much or too yeah. less, and at the time, we, but we yeah. had way too much inventory, and you said, oh, fuck up your cash flow for six months, and it did. Yeah. <laughs> I was just literally sitting around going, fuck, this guy, he's actually exactly spot on, and talking about like what I needed and right at the time. And bro, thank you for that podcast because yeah. it actually changed our whole business model. Oh, uh, we'll touch on your oh, guys. Amazing. We'll touch on your business model um, a little bit later. I understand it now. We're kind of replicating it now with the weekly drops, but I do want to dive back yeah. into your story. Who are you? Where'd you grow up? All that sort of stuff. Absolutely. So as you said in the intro, my name is Valanti Nozic. I'm a first generation New Zealander. My parents are Croatian immigrants. Um, I'm one of six six children. I grew up in the vineyard. Five boys in my family. Uh, they're all six foot two plus. I'm um, I'm under six foot. So I'm like <laughs> the small one of the family. Right, I'm number that. two. So they were and that, they were ruthless, man. Like we were all ruthless, like ruthlessly honest. And I think that has taught me to be uh, just you know, emotion uh, emotionally fit. I think as I've got older, because I can handle the truth. And you know, we never leave anything. Uh, never, never internalize anything. Everything's kind of put on the table, and I think it's pretty. I think it's a pretty healthy way to live. Um, and then I grew up, yeah. So grew up playing football. I wanted to be a professional soccer player. That was one of my goals. But then I always, um, I always knew I had like a, a creative flair in me. Um, so I started doing artwork and bits like that. And then I started to actually do a bit of music. Like I believe it or not, I had a little rap group, independent, like little uh, kind of niche niche rap group. And um, that taught me a lot, just how to kind of grab a product, package it and market it. And then I actually found that I found that part more enjoyable. And I knew that, uh, you know, a white guy from West Auckland behind the mics, probably not a very lucrative career. So I kind of canned <laughs> that. And then I took away, I took away all, the, all the skills that I learned from the marketing side of it. And then um, at university, I had a, so I met, I met a girl and then uh, within meeting her within six months, uh, sorry, I met her. Got her pregnant, but we didn't know until six months in. Three weeks later, uh, our daughter was born. So I had, I had three weeks to prepare to prepare to be a dad, and she was 11 weeks premature as well, our daughter. So that flipped my life around. And then I was like, okay, time to get serious and grow up. Up until that point, I was working at a bank. I was picking T-shirts at AS Color. I was doing all sorts of stuff, but I hated it, you know? And uh, the daughter thing was a blessing in disguise. And now, you know, you know my philosophy. I'm always asking myself, okay, what's the blessing here? And the blessing at that point, even though I didn't know it and I hated it at the time, the blessing was, okay, this, this child has forced, uh, forced me to actually get serious. I was only 20, 22 at the time. And, um, and then I just, I had this idea for Isle of Ugly and I just started putting my graphics, you know, because I was an illustrator, putting graphics on the t-shirt started to kind of pop off and then I started experimenting with pants and cut and sew and um and there, here I am man yeah that's the kind of like the, the nutshell on the last from when I was born to kind of right, start that, a Bible. 
that's a whole lot. That's a whole nother podcast in there in itself, isn't it? Oh, definitely, bro. I want to. I'd love to write a book one day, and um, yeah, I think that's a you know pretty interesting start to the book. So, creatively, were you the kid that was always drawing on shit, or, or were you a painter, or were you, or were you graffiti from a little kid out west? Or oh, were you, yeah, were you I, I experimented. Yeah, I experimented with like uh, street street art, but not really graph, more graphics, like crazy, you know, interesting illustrations, and then paste ups. You know, I was a big fan of Shepard Fairey and. Dave Kinsey and Cause back in the day. And um, yeah, so I started doing that stuff. And then I was, and then I actually started, I started I Love Ugly and I just had the words everywhere, even though I didn't know what the hell it was, but I felt that it had something kind of interesting there. So originally I Love Ugly was like street, street art, like a bit of an idea. And then I did like a magazine and then I was like, fuck, this is, this is a, this is like pulling teeth. And then that's from, you know, from doing all that base work, it helped me get to where I am now. And that's like a lesson as well, right? A lot of people, they, uh, you know, they get a bit, they feel a bit down if they can't figure out exactly what they want. But sometimes the thing that isn't the thing will lead you to the thing. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. So it's, uh, and me, by me doing all this shit, all these different things that led me to the thing. And mm. right now, you know, life's, life's a journey and I don't know where this next thing's going to take me as well. Sort of rolling off the back of that, like, because I played like professional football as well. When like I used to always get injured, like I had like ACL, it snapped my Achilles and sort of stuff like that. And when I look back on it now, it's like these these are like I was like, if I didn't get those inju- injuries, I wouldn't be where I am now. Because um, people were pushing me towards reading books, and I ended up reading like a hundred books um, over the course yeah. of my football career. And by the time it gave me a broader perspective, and I know you're big on reading and, and self education, um, it just made me just realize that there's more to life than just football. And I started to pursue Absolutely. something else, bro. And all those all those yeah. sort of dark times end up being the best times, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. If you view it that way, and I think that um, anyone can if they're willing to. Um, but I agree, bro, hundred percent. I love ugly. Like those words, <laughs> you're right. They do sound like really weird together. And obviously, like I've been a supporter of the brand right now, like for a long time. So I'm kind of used to them now. But when I do say I love ugly to other people, that sort of stops them in the tracks, don't they? They're like, <laughs> definitely, yeah, definitely. Where did, where did the, yeah, where did the name come from? Like, how'd you come up with that? It was pretty, you know, at, at uni, and I'm not a massive advocate of uni as well, especially in the creative field. I think that a lot of just on the side note, a lot of the skills that you learn at uni, you can learn for free out in the field or by starting your own business or brand or whatever. YouTube. Anyway, that's, that's, yeah, YouTube, man. They are the best teachers, best lecturers, and it's free. Or it's $10 for YouTube Premium. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically at, at uni, we had to come up with a silly project to describe our art style, our graphic style, and free words, and I Love Ugly just popped up. And I was like, that's pretty interesting, you know? And then I wanted to juxtapose it with a super clean aesthetic. And, um, and then when I wanted to do my brand, I was like, man, these words, you know, a lot of people found these words pretty intriguing, but sticky, but memorable. And if you had that juxtaposed with a super clean aesthetic, it's, it's great. And also trademark wise as well, there's not many people that are going to have <laughs> the word ugly in, uh, in their brand name. So it was, a bit of a, it, was a, it was a bit of a breeze as well to trademark globally. Um, so when you when I look at I Love Ugly, you guys are always like super clean, super polished. Um, you're quite consistent with all the models that you've used over the course of your time. Um, you stick to your sort of silhouette and your blocks really, really well. I know you've sort of diverged into an oversized block at the moment, but it's like it's always looks polished. And I know it's not always the case, but is is that the vision for the brand? Totally, bro. I'm a you know graphic designer. I studied graphic design. So um, I, was, I was obsessed with that. That's what my house is like. Um, yeah, offices try to be like that. 
um yeah man definitely and like you know we try to do we try to portray like a very high-end look but at a very price pointed um price you know what i mean so it's like that way people come into the brand and they feel that that by getting value even though we delve into streetwear you know i'd say that we're a I wouldn't say we're a streetwear brand as such. I'd say we're a premium menswear, men's streetwear brand. Mm. And then that way, you know, um, when I first started, you know, I used to be a sneakerhead and this and that. But I was also obsessed with tailored wear and like, you know, proper men's menswear like coats and blazer jackets and things like that. And I really wanted to kind of fuse that into, say, streetwear. And all I wanted to do was put a contemporary twist on, on classics as well. So, um, but yeah, the, the clean aesthetic, that was always that, that, that's just what naturally came out for me i was very obsessed with just keeping things clean and minimal and you know what i mean just nice and simple and i was inspired by apple and you know mm. you know brands like that as well and i thought that because that's that's what it is right like to create something unique all you need to do is take an element of this and that brands that you like hair and hair and hair and fuse it together and then you create something unique and i think that was um that was how i love ugly's aesthetic was birthed and it's well, it's also a journey as well. It's like you're constantly evolving and you know, you know like you, you know that better than anyone. It's like, you know, you do something you're proud of today and six months time, you can't even bear the, the sight of it because you've improved that much and you just got, your eyes got sharper and your taste has got better. And mm. yeah. Um, so uh, one of the aspects I do love about uh, your brand is the subtle details that you put into a lot of things like um, su- su- subtle stitching. Um, I had a wallet one time, had a little tag that flopped out and it said, don't spend all your money at once. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Where, does, yeah. where does all that, is that just um, attention to detail that you sort of love or? Definitely. Well, I can't remember who said it, but um, one famous designer, product designer said, the details aren't the details of a design. And that was a bit of our mantra on like, we had like a light box, like we have light box with quotes in all our stores. And we had that particular quote in our office. And um, after spending some time in Japan and just saw their attention to detail, that just stuck with me. And then I just started to think to myself, it's like, cause I'm all, all for baking the marketing into the product. And what I mean by that is if you can do something a little bit unorthodox and different and unique on say a button or the inside of a, of a pocket bag, um, that's marketing and you're baking it into the product and people are going to share that. They're going to Instagram it. They're going to upload it to whatever social channels. And uh, that just got me obsessed with details. And I think mm-hmm. that what I always say as well is like, you know, people nowadays, people have options. Consumers have options for a hundred white t-shirts. Why are they going to buy I Love Ugly over the rest? It's because of the detail and it's also because of the way we make them feel, you know, it's the brand that we're creating, the persona, all the messaging and the podcasts you know, the aspirational lifestyle. And if you pair that with amazing quality and just details that a lot of uh, other brands just look over, you're, you're unique. And it's just like, people are gonna ask themselves, okay, I gotta be foolish to go shop with another brand. And that's what we try to do as well. Just make them, once they shop with us, we keep them forever. That's awesome. Um, we'll touch on marketing because it's an aspect of that of business that's probably my favorite. And obviously yeah. I've heard you talk a lot about it and this conversation is always sort of leading back in towards marketing. But when you sort of start out and you start to go on like buying trips and you've just talked about Japan, do you want to talk about like kind of what a buying trip is more so for the inspo side of it, um, places you hit up and and is it always about clothes or is it about sitting in the street and fucking like – like for me, for example, I go to Soho and New York, I go to South Korea and I go to Seoul. Um, and sometimes I just grab a coffee sitting on the street and that's where some of the best yeah. ideas come from. But what does that design process look like for you? Totally, man. Like um, I'm not, like I didn't do it all the time. Um, but when I did do it, it was massively impactful. 
So what I'd do is like when I went to Japan, I'd usually go to Japan for one or two days. Mainly uh, it, was, it was Tokyo before I'd go to China to go to the fabric markets and visit my suppliers. And what that meant for me was exactly what you said, bro. I just watch the streets. And I actually felt the most inspiration came from what people were wearing on the streets rather than what was in shops. Because what was in shops was that was already the boiled down version of what people had seen on the streets. So I kind of wanted to go one step above and just actually saw what people were wearing on the street. Honestly, that's where I got the idea for the Zespi pan in, in Amsterdam. You know, I was in Amsterdam and I was, um, you know, high. <laughs> I think it was, it was year, years ago, years ago. I didn't do that. Hey, stuff. legal over there. It's legal over there, bro. You're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's legal. I was just getting involved in the culture, you know. And um, I went to Amsterdam and I just saw this dude. This, uh, he was like this... Um, just this dude, man, African African American dude or whatever he was, and he was just immaculately dressed, man. And he was like wearing this like tailored coat and these like tailored pants and that cropped and the seam seal on the front. And I was like, damn, imagine that. But if I just extend it a little bit and made it so it kind of tapered at the ankles, boom, uh, the Zespi pant was birthed. You know, came back, tried like fifteen samples, different samples to get it right, and uh, and we got it right. And every time I went to a shop. Since it's like on a rack, you can't really see the clothing and it's real, real form and in in context. And I feel that, you know, buying trips for me weren't actually going to shops. They were going onto the streets and doing what you said, just grabbing a coffee and just watching for five hours, Mm -hmm. seeing what people were doing, getting immersed in the culture. And um, that's where I went. That's where I learned the most, you know, that and uh, just Instagram and all those those platforms. Although nowadays I struggle just because of time. I can't really immerse myself in that stuff. So we're actually looking for a, you know, for those listening, we are looking for a, um, you know, design assistant, means we're design assistant to help with that type of stuff. But yeah, going to places, you know, even Auckland as well, you know, there's a lot of steezy cats as well. And, uh, you know, you just look around, see what they're wearing, the way they wear the hat, what are they pairing together, you know? I say, I say that a lot, like, um, like a lot of people obviously Australians don't really go to New Zealand in March and they always ask what Auckland's like and they've got this weird like connotation about it. I was like, nah, Auckland's like very fashion forward, very similar to Melbourne where like because of the weather, you can start to layer up stuff and and, like start to piece stuff together and I got into shoes when I was living in Auckland. Uh, I had a a pair of Jordan 5s on one time, went to Ponsonby Social Social Club and like these girls come up, they're like, oh, I didn't think you went to kicks. I didn't even know what they were but that was was sort of my light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh shit, I better start learning about shoes because it's going to get me girls and like <laughs> you, you cruise around you cruise around Ponsonby and that and like some really cool people around there aren't there definitely man definitely I agree it's like there's tons of little creative hubs like we use you know a bunch of guys where we outsource to as well and they're just they're the steezy cats you know they live and yeah. breathe it I'm 30, 35 you know I'm running the company I've got three kids um, I don't really have time to only primarily live and breathe fashion you know, it's like uh, it's like an aspect of what I do, but it's not my primary focus. So I think that by going around to these places, you just get a real good snapshot of what's going on. Mm, and, Auckland, um, and Auckland is that, I think. Yeah, and like really good food and spots around there as well. But I was just trying yeah. to, like, for me, I've said this publicly a lot of times. Like, I love, I like clothes, but it's not my underwhelming passion. I think I enjoy yeah. business a lot, but more. Um, yeah. When did you feel that transition happen for you? It happened when, uh, so obviously I was always drawn to business. Um, you know, I, when I came out of uni, I couldn't get a job. And then I started Isle of Ugly. And then, um, 
And then I just jumped into it. You know, I didn't know anything, but what I did have is vision. And I think vision is, if you've got vision, it's going to drive passion and it's going to drive you to figure out exactly what you need to learn. And then what I really found is once I got an order from ASOS, it was ASOS Premium, which is like the premium version. I don't know if it's still around. They placed like a 30 grand order. And I was like, okay, damn, this has legs. But in order to actually make this thing um, bloom into fruit, like, you know, to really, for my vision to come clear, I, I need to learn business, man. I need to learn like structure and finance and process and this and that. But also at the same time, I actually knew to learn how to have partnerships and people. So at that point, I, I got a I got a business partner. He's no longer with me now. But um, I learned a lot of business from him and we just learned off each other. But I think that um, my real passion for business came three years ago when I went through all that shit. You know, I nearly went bankrupt and you know a lot about that story. Uh, I had to pay back, you know, nearly three quarters of a million dollars in a month. Um, we overexpanded. I had stores in LA. I had stores in Melbourne, Sydney. I I had deals, license deals, all teed up in South Korea. Um, things was going gangbusters. And then when it went to shit, I had to ask myself, I was like, okay, what's, it's not the brand or the marketing or the product that was broken. It was the business side of it was broken. And I was like, I always, you're always drawn to things that you're good at when things are bad. And I was always going back to the, going back to, product, I was like, okay, I'm going to design my way out of this problem. But then I keep having the same problem. And I was like, okay, it's not the product that's broken. It's the business side of it. So I just had to quickly develop a business acumen and, um, and a passion for it and just kind of like relook at it, reskin it in a way where I can make it creative and I can make it how I want it to be. And uh, that's what birthed my, my passion for business. And business is like, you know, if you've got the foundational business skills, uh, you can go anywhere and you can do whatever the heck you want in this life. And I think that's uh, all creatives need to learn that. Um, yeah, that's a, you talked about, we'll touch on a lot of these things here, but first of all, like partnership, when you sort of let someone, you let them buy into the company after eight months, is that right? Yeah, yeah, eight or nine Yeah, months. yeah. So did you, what do you look for in a partner? If you're a creative, do you look for the complete opposite or do you look like for a sort of jack of all trades? What's your opinion on, on forming a partnership? I think partnerships, because yeah, partnerships are great. Just like, you know, I don't know if you're married or if you've got a girlfriend or anything. It's like life's better when you've got a partner to share moments with. And when you're feeling like shit, you can lean on this person. And I think the same is said with business. There's anomalies. Like I've got a friend that, um, you know, he just sold a portion of his company. It's like a $110 million business. And he'd done it up to that point by himself. He's an anomaly. He's like a phenomenal businessman, phenomenal man. He's a lot older than me. Um, but he had, you know, he did that. And I think it's like you get to a point, you get to a point in business and you're like, okay, from what I know has got me this far and what do I need now to go to the next level? And I think it's like if there's, if there's certain skills that you don't want to learn or you shouldn't learn because it's not what you're good at, I think it's the time that you should get a partner and that partner should be complementary in the skills that you don't have. That's what I, I believe. And um, say, for example, like I brought out the business in 2017 for my previous partner. I did it a year by myself, hustling, scratching, trying to do all the operational stuff. And bro, that's not my passion. It's, it, 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 I suck at it and it was draining me. It like, drains you. Hey, when, you do, when you're doing stuff you don't want to do, it fucking drains you. It drains you, man. And then I was like, man, I need someone. And But firstly, it's like all comes down to the question you ask yourself, right? That's going to give you the quality answer. It's like, who do I need? What do I need to do to go to the next level? What's causing me stress? You write it down and it's like, bang, all right, sweet. I need an operational dude. I need someone that's a little bit more commercially minded. 
And then I found I found my now business partner Nick, who you know he's a uh, minority shareholder of I Love Ugly, bro, game changer because it frees me up. So he's doing he's passionate about all the stuff I'm not, um, and it's all the stuff that we need in the business because it's a foundation to grow my ideas and grow the company's ideas and vision on top of. And it's mm-hmm. like if you don't do that, man, you're just like you know you're two steps forward, three steps back. Um, I feel like when you start to lead a company, you do need those like. You know, it's operational people, they actually get a kick out of doing all that stuff, but you do need, yeah. do need that time away to sit there and think about ideas and sort of move forward. And like, um, like I take days off sometimes, just go sit by the beach. Me and too. Yeah, Me and, and that's, that's, where, that's where your best ideas and that come from, isn't it? Absolutely, bro. Like, you know that old saying, it's like you got to work on your business, not in it. Mm. And um, man, as a leader, like I'm all for, you're working on two types of businesses. You're working on the business you're in now, today. And you also got to be working on the business, what you need to be in 12 months time. And in order to work on that business, you need to take those times away from the work, from the busyness, from the chit chat, from the, from the now business, you know, and you need to think big, big and bold. And like, in order to do that, you need to clear your schedule and you need to like lock in time, thinking time. You know, there's an amazing business guy I listened to, which I don't know if you've heard of called Keith Cunningham and he, um, he's amazing, bro. So I actually heard him at Tony Robbins business mastery, which was a five day business course. And he talks about, um, yeah, he talks about thinking time and you clear your, you clear your schedule and you schedule in time simply to think and, um, and you ask yourself questions and it's all about thinking, like looking on the business. Like the biggest, the biggest innovations and breakthroughs I've had in my business have come from those thinking sessions, asking really good questions, clearing my schedule, yeah, digging deep, asking yeah, stupid stuff, stuff that's like fucking crazy that people would deem crazy. But it forces you to think big, think bold, you know, and it all comes from um, time away. What's the weirdest question you've asked yourself? Weirdest question I've asked myself is how can I get every single man on this planet wearing I Love Ugly? It's like crazy, <laughs> right? But the thing is, is it forces you to think deep and, you know, go for crazy answers. And, um, you know, I ha- obviously, you know, I, I probably won't achieve that goal, but, you know, shoot for the stars and get to the moon, right? Mm. Um, so you sort of talked about when you owed a, uh, the bank three quarters of a million dollars. How did you go yeah. about that? I know how, personally, I know how you've already done it. We've, we've had a similar story where we owed a supplier like half a million dollars at the, like halfway through this year and we, we got through it pretty quick. Um, so I, I enjoyed those lessons and we moved into a new supply chain off the back of it. But uh, I want to hear your side of it and sort of how you approach your staff and the email. I got, the, I remember getting the email <laughs> uh, from yeah, you yeah, guys. Yeah. So I, 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 don't know, I feel like I've been on this whole journey with you, bro. <laughs> That's awesome, bro. How do you approach it? First thing you've got to tell yourself is never to give up. Because the thing is, it's like the moment you, the moment you tell yourself like, ah, oh, fuck, this is probably isn't going to work and this, it's not going to work. If you tell yourself and, and you convince yourself that you're not going to give up, you're going to get through this, you'll make it work. You'll figure it out. You'll become resourceful. So that's the first thing I told myself. And man, any sane person would deem you uh, like uh, an idiot for continuing it's like you you know you had owed half a million dollars to a supplier the most logical thing to do is quit but us as entrepreneurs and people that want to fulfill our visions you know we're not normal we are crazy we're abnormal you know what i mean so you got to tell yourself like i'm not going to quit and then and then and then from there is tell the truth and the thing is is like i don't know if you know the story but i went to the bank and they gave me the letter and i was walking up the little driveway to our office and i was going to tell them a lie i was just going to tell the team like just some bullshit, you know? And did, you cry? Got, did you cry any, when you got that letter? Did you cry or anything? Or you nah, right? I didn't no. cry. I actually felt alive. Like, I, I was like, it almost, um, 
like electrified me, which I don't know what that was. I think it's just, it got my attention, you know? Finally, it's like, okay, you guys have been fucking up for this long. Now I've got your attention. It's like, we're calling it in boys. And, um, but I came into the office when I was walking up and I was gonna tell the lie and what came out was the truth. And I thought everyone was gonna run for the hills, but everybody was 100% supportive of me because they knew the truth and I was transparent and I showed an element of vulnerability from a leader, which a lot of good leaders, or sorry, what a lot of leaders don't do, but the good leaders do. And, um, and then from there, it's like, okay, let's tell the customers because there's all these murmurs and rumors and all this, all this stuff. So we had to put them to, you know, we had to just shut them up by telling them the truth. And, um, and that was, yeah, that was the start of the journey to crawl out of it, just being vulnerable, telling the truth and telling yourself that you ain't, you ain't going to give up and you're going to do whatever the hell is necessary to kind of get through this little, little roadblock. And then one thing I asked myself was like, okay, what's great about this problem? What's the opportunity in this problem? And uh, the answer I got from that was, okay, okay, V, time to simplify. Time to cut all this distribution, all this wholesale, all this fancy shit. Stop focusing on the stuff that looks impressive, but it's not important. Just start focusing on the important stuff, you know? I was driving a nice car, mean house, big salary, all this, all this bullshit. And the thing is, it made me look fucking good and fancy and impressive, but it actually didn't do anything. All it did was making me broke. So I got rid of all that stuff and just went back to basics, you know, went to work, rolled up my sleeves and just like humbled the shit out of me, man. It stripped away my ego. And I was just like, all right, man, it's just time to build, man. I'm not in this to, I'm not in this for ego. I'm not in this at all for ego. Like, you know, cause the thing is ego just gets me into trouble. I'm in this to actually make an impact and make my dent into the world. Mm. Um, so you sort of talked about ego and all that sort of stuff there. There was a time where I've heard you talk about you guys were starting to fly. I think it was around 2014 and started throwing parties and obviously the expansion. Yeah. And I've, I, I used to shop at the I Love Ugly store down in, in um, Pitt Street underneath, down on the bottom. Yeah. Like, yeah, so um, it's it's only natural to think like I've done well, well to, to get us to this point. Like I just want to take it to the next step. Like is, yeah. is, that a, is that a bad philosophy to have for us down here in New Zealand or is it – was it just, I don't know, fuck, I don't know how I'm trying to answer this, but... I know, I know what you're saying. You're yeah, yeah. Like, you know, because there's a, you know, we all know that, that whole tall poppy syndrome, right? And it's like, <laughs> if you do well, you're almost ashamed to tell people. Stylebender, man, he's, he's amazing. Like, he, people call him arrogant. Bro, that dude's got every right to be arrogant. What he's achieved and his mindset and his work ethic, bro, that guy earns like every ounce of respect from me. Because, you know, he's, he, he trains hard and he's a success. People say it's tall poppy syndrome and he put up that clip, what we posted, I can't remember when, maybe a few months ago, six months ago, just about tall poppy syndrome and the culture needs to change. Like we do need to celebrate the people that are succeeding and we need to birth a culture where success is a good thing. And like, mm. but the thing is, what I'm saying is it wasn't, you know, what, it wasn't bad that I had the fancy stuff but what I was doing is that's all I was focusing on. I was so focused on my ego and looking impressive. And I was doing that at the sacrifice of all the foundational business stuff. And the thing is, is like, you know, having a nice car, nothing wrong with it, man. A nice house. Absolutely. The thing is, if you're doing that and you're not investing in a financial, you're doing that at the expense of investing into a financial controller or, uh, you know, an amazing you know, demand planner to help you with your stock, or just working on your balance sheet, that's just stupid, that's stupidity. So it's just kind of flipping it all around, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, 
I don't know. Does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of in that phase now, and like, I do multiple things, and like, obviously, getting like multiple streams of revenue is starting to really help now. And like, I still, I still drive the same car that I come in, but it's off the back of like listening to conversations with people like you, and I sort of, you sort of realize, like, I had a guy on here yesterday, like that guy Mark Boris, and I said, what, what do you feel like when you sold your company for five hundred million? He goes, I felt nothing. Like he was in wow. New York and he just goes, he goes, it didn't make me happy. I come back, I bought like one watch and a car. And he's wow. since 2005, he's driven like 7,000 um, Ks on that car. He goes, he goes, I just wanted to start my new company. And wow. like, I, I hear those types of stories and obviously hearing too, it from man. you as well. Yeah. yeah. Bro, it yeah. doesn't mean shit, eh, all that material stuff. No, to- totally, man. Like it makes you feel good for the moment and you get the dopamine hit, but Honestly, bro, it's not until you live in the million dollar house and you drive the $50,000 car and you got the nice sneakers and the nice watch. And it's not until you lose it all, which I did. And then you're forced to live in a granny flat with three kids for 18 months to recuperate financially like I did. And then you're driving a shitty, I had to drive a shitty $2,000 car from my sister-in-law. That's how, that's how, you know, near broke I was. And that stripped away everything that actually made me realize, man, all that other fancy stuff, the only person that was actually really like making me feel good for, for that moment was, was me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You look cool, you look cool or, or rich or successful to other people. But, um, but at the end of the day, man, people have their own shit going on. And they don't really care about what's going on in your life. Nah, no one in the world. But man, I'm still, I'm still striving. I'm still hungry. I still want the nice house and nice car and things like that. And I'm, I'm rebuilding it, but I'm doing it smart and I'm doing it so it's sustainable. Yeah. Um, like I studied a lot of people that talk about wealth and sort of stuff like that. And um, like they always say, like never talk bad about money and have a great relationship with money and all that sort of type of stuff as well. So um, just off the back, we're not, we're not bagging these things, but we just know that these things aren't going to necessarily make you happy as well. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, bro. And let's. Let, anyone sorry. Anyone can get a car. Anyone can get a t- car on tick, you know. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> on tick. <laughs> um, marketing is probably the subject that I want to talk to you most about. A lot of the stuff that the thing I love about your marketing. We'll go back to the Zipsy. Uh, Zipsy pants. Uh, uh, Z- yeah, Zipsy. Sorry. I remember buying a pair at the Mount. Um, trying them on. Jeez, it's yeah. hard to get up the stairs and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, yeah. I remember the car that come with it. And like yeah. you guys, you guys have always sort of owned up to that. We'll talk about that. And we'll talk about your jewelry collection when you guys yeah. done a, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about, so do you want to, do you want to talk about uh, the strategy behind those marketing plans and then for the backlash off the back of them and then how you sort of um, reacted off the back of that? Totally, man. Um, yeah, I'm a believer that, especially in, and you can do this anything and, I learned this off Apple is actually making a brand off a product. And, um, you know, they did it with, uh, they did it with the white headphones and they created like this whole brand. It's like, man, people wanted to buy Apple products just to get those white headphones, like those white little. Oh, headphones I, I, really. I remember the marketing cause they always had like a black shadow person. Eh? Then they had the yeah, white man. cords. Yeah. 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 Them, yeah. And they had all the, you know, um, musicians and whatnot. And, um, and I was just like, when, when the Zespi came out, which was like the low crotch, which was like the trend back in the day, um, I was like, man, we've got to create a brand around this thing. And then, um, and then people bought them, you know, would sell out 150 pairs and then 200 pairs and then 500 pairs in 24 hours. The biggest complaint would be like, man, I love these pants, but I can't walk in them. <laughs> and uh, so we were like, we were like, okay, well, let's just like make our mess, our message. And we just made this like comical YouTube video 
uh, it's my boy Mo back in the day. He's now based in New York and he just made this funny video about trying to walk upstairs in Zespies and it created a cult following around it, around the actual product itself. And then that was the gateway, you know, the gateway product to get people into the brand. And, um, and I think it's real important, you know, creating a, creating a brand around a product um, and that way it kind of fits under the umbrella of the, you know, of, of, of I Love Ugly. And then we did that with our five panel hats with the crazy patterns, which I went sourcing all across China to get. I went to upholstery, upholstery shops and curtain shops to get fabrics, you know, the buzziest, craziest fabrics. And then, um, yeah, and then that was, I think that was it. And once again, kind of brand baking your marketing into the product as well, which I was talking about earlier, like little quirks and little features that people want to share. And um, yeah, that was uh, that was kind of it. And then in terms of a in terms of a ring campaign, and um, so just to kind of for that, um, just to kind of retell the story is for those that didn't see it or don't know about it is like I asked myself, it's like, hey, how can I make this thing these rings sell out? And then I was like, you know, there's there's certain elements in marketing that really get people going, which is I think it's like education, it's uh, shock value. It's uh, you know making people cry or making people sad, um, or and there's another one I can't remember off the top of my head. And um, for this one, for the rings, I was like, okay, I want to make people shocked. You know, I want to sell these things out. You know, we had a thousand dollar, two thousand dollar ring. It's like, okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's get let's get a, a naked woman and uh, get a fully clothed guy with rings on it, kind of covering her parts. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, bro. <laughs> Like looking back, I was just a young, dumb idiot, but I was trying, you know, I was trying, trying, trying to do stuff, put stuff out there. And uh, we did it and I was like, for nothing of it, you know, I was pretty, I had big balls back then. I'd try anything, do anything to kind of get I Love Ugly on the map. Next minute, bro, viral, New York Times, <laughs> the Daily News in the UK. It was all over Aussie, all over NZ. It was on every single radio, radio show and news show in the country. You know, we had the biggest traffic day, 50, 100,000 people visiting our site. But what came with it was a whole bunch of like, you know, the anti people people coming in there were anti-feminists, like all, all this stuff. And it's diabolical, man. And it like, it actually stressed me out like big time. And I was like, bro, this is a, this is the wrong way to do it. So we had to put up a formal apology. We had the um, ad, I can't remember the term, but the ad commission that kind of monitors uh, ads um that go out uh basically we were going to get like a big fine we had to pull the ad but basically it's like um i said once again it's like hey the way i had to rectify the issue was just putting out like a formal statement um yeah apology and um it just learned it, it, it just taught me not to i think nowadays eh, it's it's real dangerous to do stuff like that that's super controversial that can put your whole brand and business um, in jeopardy, you know, and the, the old saying can take 20 years to build a brand and um, it can minutes, take one yeah. bad move, five minutes to ruin it. And that was nearly, you know, I dodged a nuclear bomb then. And I think that, um, yeah, it's just like, yeah, just don't need, to, don't need to do that stuff, you know. It's actually harder, harder to do something that's impactful um, uh, that causes the same amount of attention. And that's how I kind of got into this whole, like, aspirational elements and we released that campaign the generations campaign and we got a whole bunch of old guys talking about all their regrets and we got up wearing i love ugly and a whole bunch of young guys talking about all their dreams and aspirations and i was like you know this 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 fits with my, my this fits sits well on my soul and uh and this actually it's not going to get the huge spike but i think it's actually going to impact people's lives 
in a positive way rather than yeah telling a whole bunch of disgust yeah making people feel disgusted and all this stuff and the stupid thing is is we get a lot of mothers and girlfriends and wives shopping with us buying from their partners and things like that so why the hell would we why why would we risk it or why would we you know mm. offend those people yeah it's stu- stupidity Hey, a bit of a lesson learned. All I'm thinking about is that 100, 150,000 people coming online with a one to three conversion rate on e commerce. Like, that would have been all right, right? It would have been a good day. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a sweet day, man. I learned a lot. Um, obviously, like, I'm big into marketing and I just see our brand as a bit of a knockabout brand as well. And, like, humans played a big part for us. So, one of the biggest, I will tell you a story. So, we dropped a denim jacket with the um, sheepskin in it. A sheep fur on the inside, yeah. like pretty much like everyone had, and like we we were yeah. sort of cla- we weren't claiming that we were the first one, but we used to go around and go, oh, like not the fake YKTR jacket, and it kind of yeah, yeah. it kind of caught viral. So everyone was going around, and as soon as anyone had got one from JJ's or bro, it could have been a Soupy jacket, like who knows, could have been like an eight hundred dollar yeah. jacket. Um, everyone just seemed to video it, and we turned it into a marketing campaign, and all our jackets yeah. like flew out in like like twenty minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah marketing's like if marketing's fun cuz like a lot of people don't like be like those things you sort of touched on shock value. Um humor's a big one. Like if you make someone laugh, yeah, you can sort of make great. them do a lot of things, eh? Definitely, man. Definitely. Like look at uh look at Kevin Hart, you know. He's mm. built this whole career and uh I think he's a marketing genius. Funny guy on stage. He kind of brings that into real life and um but he's people are drawn into him because of his humor. Because like people like funny people, you know what I mean? Just, like we all know that fun, yeah. that funny dude is just a likable guy. You want to spend time with him because laugh, laughter and humor makes you feel good, and people want to be around people that make them feel good. Hundred percent. All right, so uh, Kith is one of my favorite brands. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, the thing I love about them is their collaboration um, built into their calendars. You guys have done some yep. pretty cool collaborations. I didn't realize that um, painting was meant to be for that van shoe, which which would have hurt. But like obviously, yeah. like Jan Sport, um, you've done like a Bailey Nelson one. Like, well, have you always seen collabs as a big part of Wildlife Ugly? And are you going to continue to do them moving forward? And what is your favorite collab you've done so far? Yeah, absolutely. Collabs are, are massive and. Um but they take so long as well, you know, because you're w- usually working with like big companies and these big companies have like big timelines as well. Um, but I think in terms of collaborations, I'd recommend them to anyone and everyone, you know what I mean? They um, they open up, you, they open your audience up to new audiences and you also get opened up to, you know, the, the person you're collaborating with their, their audience as well. It also forces you to think a little bit differently and create something unique and you also have an opportunity to put your handprint and your DNA onto another product. And um, and I think that's what we did with Onosuka Tiger. You know, that's a subsidiary of ASICS. Mm. Um, that was pretty cool. You know, we got super conceptual with it within North Island, South Island, and the different kind of elements and things like that. Jansport as well, same thing. And they actually had the, you know, the president of Jansport, he was in Auckland, he told us that due to our uh, approach to simplicity and stripping back everything that you don't need, it actually helped reinvigorate the way they view their products and their kind of design principles which they apply to their, their products as well. Like the, ad, co- the, ad, the ad campaign for that Jansport one was like one of my favourite ones that you guys done, sort of oh, cruising yeah, through. Yeah, I, love, yeah. I love, love the fabric on it, that dark grey, and I, oh, I see that everywhere yeah, now man. and you guys were the first, oh, in my opinion, you guys were the first to do it, but bro, that was sick. Yeah. Yeah, man, and it was pretty simple, right? We just get, grabbed a pre-existing silhouette and just stripped it back and added like a felt fabric, you know, woolen felt fabric and just, you know, uh, played with the, the, the label and he just did a dope campaign around it. 
And it's like we're, you know, we're, we're catering to the creative entrepreneur, the photographer, the drawer, uh, the designer, the beat maker. Like that was who we made that backpack for. And I think we, we you know, we portrayed that pretty well through the, through the ad campaign. Um, but I think collabs, man, amazing. You know, I think like, in my opinion, Kef, they probably do it a little bit too much. Mm, mm. Um, I, I can agree I with think, that. Yeah. Yeah. They do, you know, the, the one they did with BMW and stuff was, I think it was super innovative, you know, super dope. Um, but I think the way I like to look at it, it's like, make it novel, you know, do it. If you can do it once a quarter or even once a year, we haven't done anything for a while, just mainly because of COVID. We had a few things kind of teed up. We were in talks with Reebok and things like that. And just, you know, those guys got slammed with COVID just because of their whole distribution networks and things like that. So I put, they put a lot of stuff on hold. Um, but yeah, it's something that we are, we constantly kind of got in the pipeline, you know, working in the background. Um, I think even like this, you know, this is collaborative in the sense where you and me, we're jamming ideas, we're giving value to both audiences. Mm. Um, you know, we're creating unique conversations. You and me are probably going to come away with us with different ideas and how to approach our days and our company's different. Um, yeah, collaborative. Yeah. It's, it's like a pretty, you know, people have been doing it for years in different shapes and form, but I think in terms of. In terms of like clothing and streetwear, I think it's amazing. It's an amazing tool. You, you talk about like um, over collabing. Um, I, I do believe in like I remember Antisocial Social Club. Like I remember yeah. when they yeah. first dropped, but they're just collabed with everyone. It's just kind of like half tacky now. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I l- love Definitely. to love to break into that China market though. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, bro, it's, it's insane the numbers, right? Mm. Like I, I, I was listening to this thing. I think it was on the Gary V audio show. I haven't listened to him for a while. And I just started listening to him again last week just because I'm heading into that crazy marketing season. And he was saying it was some influencer in China that generated something like $600 million of revenue for that particular product through a live stream only in China. You know what I mean? Mm. Only in China can that happen. Um, phenomenal, man. It's, a, it's an amazing market. Um, so we'll talk about business model right now. So when I first come into it, uh, one of our, our old supplier actually goes, I pay attention to what I, I Love Ugly do. And our old business model was we used to drop sort of every eight weeks and we'd, we'd drop our whole collection right at the start and then sort of map it yeah. all out for, and then sort of six to seven weeks, go on sale, try and get rid of the stock and move it on. Um, do you want to yeah. explain the traditionally what it was like and then what you guys do um, today? Like you drop Tuesday, Thursday, but what was it like back in the day compared to now? Yeah, back in the day, uh, it was somewhat traditional, uh, and that's because we didn't know we didn't didn't know any better, so we just stuck to the rules of the game. And then we quickly figured out um, that oh, Dev, I think they're warning you, so you can probably go there. Sorry, bro. Um, we quickly figured out that every time we dropped a product, we'd get a huge spike in in interest and sales. And then we we're like. Why are people dropping? Why are people dropping coats, winter coats, in the middle of summer? It doesn't make sense. Traditionally, that's how fashion's always done. So we're like, well, we're not going to do that. We're just going to drop coats when it's cold, and we're going to drop shorts when it's when it's warm. And um, so we started doing that. And we're like, why don't we just start doing monthly collections? Like bang on the season monthly collections went real well. And then it was like, and then it was like, fuck. Why don't we? You know, especially when I fully took over a few years ago, it's like, well, why don't we just do this every week? And now, why don't we do this twice a week? So, a lot of people probably think it's fast fashion, but it's not fast fashion because we still put the same focus and emphasis on our products as we would, as as a company would doing a six month collection. But it's just the way we release it. That's our point of difference. That's our X factor. And we still do limited drops. You know, we'll do 150, 200 pairs of shorts in a particular color, and they sell out. 
and people want a restock, but we're not going to do it. So mm -hmm. we'll force them to buy the next thing. And we just do that yeah, every Tuesday, Thursday, and our whole business model and internal structure is get up around that. And um, which forces us to go at a pace where I think a lot of a lot of companies can't keep up with. They're like, what do you, you guys must have a massive team and this <laughs> and that. We don't. We just focus on uh we we just focus on structure and just seamless, yeah, just just make make sure it's seamless. And um yeah. So how much of your businesses like core products do that you always have in stock year round? Do you have that or are you just always like seasonal, like drop, drop, drop? Yeah, know yeah, yeah. We're about 60 percent of our sales are always just just black hoodie, black t shirt, black mm. pants. That stuff's always in stock. So we've got like a core offering, uh, which makes up yeah, maybe about probably about sixty percent of our offering as well, and that stuff's just always in stock, constant, constant. Yeah, because the thing is, is like guys are pretty simple, right? They'll grab that hot stuff. Yeah. But end of the day, they're always going to wear a black tee. They're always going to wear a white tee, a black hoodie. They're always going to wear black socks. So we're just going to make sure that we've always got that stuff in stock, and that's where the importance, especially in fashion, that you have like a demand planner or a merchandise manager, and um, that's their primary focus is just stock, the management of stock, not what it looks like but actual keeping your good stuff in because that's where you can get, you know, that's where we've got our massive growth as well in the last few years, just focusing on that core product, making sure that it's always in stock, making sure that our size curves are correct. And um, a lot of, a lot of people are looking for that silver bullet. So I'll make the, you know, the dopest new t-shirt with a crazy pattern and that's going to make my business blow up. <laughs> yeah. We'll probably make you blow up for that one day, but yeah. what happens when it's out? It's that backbone foundational business, you know, always in stock stuff that's going to make you have a sustainable business right this this will because we, we've never really always had a core product in range and it's not till like i've always heard about it but i'm like nah nah just always wanted to keep it like new stuff and this is the second time that i've heard in two weeks about getting the planet do you know the NQ boys do you know nah do you remember remember a brand called vanishing elephant yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're big time, eh? So um, they've got an office two doors down, for, and they said the exact same thing. Like, if you want to scale and get your business fundamentals down pat, you need a good planner. Oh, for sure, bro. Absolutely. And the thing is, is like the reason you probably didn't care about it is because it's boring. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> business, business is supposed to be boring. And the thing is, is like we make it complicated because it makes it more fun and exciting, but we kind of do it at the expense of just you know at the expense of what's working and um makes us really makes us feel smarter too eh? when it's like try and make yeah, a complex yeah. thing i figured totally, this man. out You're i like, figured this out yeah yeah well complexity is the enemy of execution and i think the more complex you make it the harder it's going to be to execute and then you're not going to follow through with that and you're going to run into problems um so we talk about we talked about sort of um like buying trips or, or inspo trips that we talked about before you guys are quite fashion forward in terms of your um, in my in my opinion, with the types of designs that you drop, like you guys drop really unique d designs, is it important yeah. not to be too far ahead of the trend? Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. and try and be on trend. Like, how much? How do you balance that? Is that? Is it? Does your core product look after that, and then you go out try and push try and push the brand forward with these new designs and stuff like that? Is that how it works? Yeah, definitely. A prime example of that is you know our Kobe pan and our slim Kobe pan, mm. which is our crop pan. Um, now it's the, it's one of our best selling pants four years ago when we released it after I went to Japan, which every cat was wearing, we were way too ahead of the curve. So we just basically, you know, put it on ice, excuse the pun. And, um, <laughs> you know, just kind of like, just, just did that. And we just waited. Cause the thing is, is like, you can do the right thing in the wrong time and it's the wrong thing to do. Right. Mm. Timing is everything. 
So you've got to understand trends and markets and things like that, you know, watching what other people are doing, seeing what people on the ground are doing, going out on the street, seeing what they're wearing, things like that. But for us, yeah, we kind of, well, we're a 12 year old brand now. So I kind of know, I kind of just know intuitively, you know what I mean? But at the same time, if you kind of back intuition with actual studying data uh, and basically data tells you the truth, there's no emotions involved in data. So the thing is, is like, you know, and it goes back to that whole demand planner, like, you know, they'll be like, oh, we need to do more black hoodies or whatever. And you're like, nah, that shit's boring. People don't wear that. People doesn't sell. She's like, but she's like, well, like, look at it. It's driving 80% of our sales. And you're like, interesting. And then it's almost like, you know, being creative based off uh, off the facts as well. So kind of going back to your point is like for, for us, it's like, yeah, we try to push a brand, the boat out. You know, we're kind of like, we're not middle road. We're not high end. I'd say we're three quarter. So what I mean by that is we're not super fashion forward. But the thing is, is like, we're aware of what's going on in the fashions and we just time it. We try to make our timing perfect. And, uh, and the thing is, is like when you're at a level and uh, you'll kind of get to this as you as, as, as the brand gets older, when you're at a level and you nail, you know, when you time the trend perfectly, you know, you can sell thousands, tens of thousands of that unit before everybody, anybody's caught up or caught on to what's going on. Mm, that's good. Um, so well, obviously being around here, like we're, we're the block that we're in, we've got a lot of fashion brands around us, like Tiger Lily, Sassam Bide, um, like Tiger, Tiger Lily kind of just gone out of like business, like they've gone into liquidation. Shit, really? and Yeah, bro. Yeah. And like Sassam Bide. Were they owned by Billabong? Oh, I think I think so. And like, cause um, Sass and Bide around here, obviously got to know the P Nation girls and stuff as well. And they always talk yeah. about like a life cycle of a brand. And then they talk uh, like a lot of them talk about Subi. They go through like different cycles of it. Have you been able yeah. to maintain? And what does the future look like for I Love Ugly? Absolutely, man. That's a great question. It kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about you're in two businesses: the business you're in today and the business you need to be in. And the thing is, is like, if you're anticipating change to happen, you're already starting to make the moves before that change happens rather than reacting to it when it does happen. And the thing is, is like the Tiger Lilies, the reason they are out of business is because they didn't pivot. They didn't evolve to what the times were doing. They were probably stuck in the old fashioned model of distribution and wholesale. And COVID happened, the whole world's on lockdown. Your business is kaput, you're, you're done. Unless you're actually, unless you're actually focused on digital, and the thing is, is like to reinvent yourself, you have to have awareness. You have to be reading an insatiable hunger to learn. The chokehold of any business is the leader and the owner. And the thing is, is if you and me aren't developing and figuring out what the next not next thing is, when that thing happens and we're not prepared, we're we're doomed. But I think for I think for like life cycles of brands, it's like for us is i want i love ugly to be a legacy brand a heritage brand a classic brand like a stussy a supreme mm. you know Nike. and the thing is is when you got that in mind you're not chasing exhaustingly chasing every trend because that's exhausting it's going to wear you down and the thing is if, you, if that's your if that's your number one gimmick if you miss it you're doomed and that's the thing it's like if you create your own niche your own segment of a market what what is the value and what is the problem that you're trying to solve for your customers if you're constantly asking yourself that question and trying to solve that problem, you don't really need to be reinventing yourself all the time because you're just sticking to your lane and people are going to keep coming back to you like McDonald's because you're consistent. You know, McDonald's is a shitty product, <laughs> but yet it will standard everything. You know, it's, it's, if you eat that stuff every day, you're going to die. You're going to get sick. Yet they're still in business and they're thriving. Why? You know, you got to ask yourself why. 
shit product, yet they're still thriving. It's because they got the systems down pat. It's because they're constantly innovating. And now they're like pivoting to this health movement and, you know, apples instead of fries, water instead of Coke. Like, you know what I mean? Vegan burgers. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. Constant and never improvement and never in, and, and just innovation needs to be the backbone of your business. And you'd be working on that constantly, you know, constantly insatiable hunger to learn, things like this. Um, listening to things like this, man, that's the way to do it. So there's no magic pill and the magic answer, but um, I think for Subis and stuff like that, I think that with those guys, man, is like from what I hear from people, it's like they just didn't have the basics 101 down pat, you know. And, um, I've heard that as well. Like, I think a lot of them wanted to be DJs as well. So, yeah, um, mm, all that sort of shit. So, it took, took the eye off the Golden yeah. Goose. Definitely, bro. Definitely. You never take your eye off the Golden Goose, man, because it'll stop laying. So, um, and it, it's the boring shit, man, like financial controller. So, you've got that balance sheet and you've got big cash reserves. So, once you hit with like a lockdown and everything shuts down, you can withstand that storm. You're not forced to liquidate everything on sale at the detriment of the brand or the brand equity, which you've built over the years, you can, you can weather the storm, you know, you've got that King's ransom mm. and, um, and that's all the boring stuff, but the important stuff. So, and that's when you can actually start focusing on future stuff and the long-term thinking long-term, man, just long-term, long-term. I can't emphasize that enough. So when, when money comes in, do you set a certain amount to the side until you're like war chest and is it backed up between like six, 12 months? Six, twelve, eighteen months of like um cash flow there. How do you do that? Yeah, essentially we watch so of our um in-house accountant, she updates the cash flow forecast twice a day. So in the morning and in the evening, or you know, midday-ish. And I'm I'm watching it like a hawk and we're just making sure that I've got the reserves, I've got the buffer in place, got the number in place, and we don't don't go anything underneath that. Mm. And um and then also you know, building that balance sheet as well. So we've got enough equity in the company that if anything happens you know, if our suppliers stop or anything like that, we can weather the storm. And that's not, I'm not perfect at all by any, any stretch of imagination, but at the same time, I'm focused on it because I know that things are going to happen. I know that there's going to be some roadblocks. I know that things are going to fall off the boat. There'd be a fire. We get robbed, whatever. Something's it's man, we're, we're alive, right? Mm. When you're alive. Problems are just going to be throwing themselves at you left, right and center. So you just got to prepare for them. And um, and that's where it's real important to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you are, and and sort of having a cash um, reserve there to not obviously where the problems. That's a great part of it, but to sort of exploit opportunities as well, isn't it? Yeah, bang on, bro. Absolutely. Um, So, any how is I Love Ugly looking to grow? You just going to double down on everything you're doing and look into into new categories and new demographics? Um, Females? You guys never have you guys ever made female stuff or? We have it at one point of time, but um, yeah, that's definitely something I think, you know, if we add a female line to our brand, we could probably double it, double the business in a, a couple of years. Mm. Um, but we've said that it's not, it's not that simple, right? <laughs> you need a whole, whole new infrastructure, a whole new language. Um, it kind of changes your brand DNA a little bit, um, but maybe it doesn't, maybe it's just a mind mindset. Maybe it's just a block in my own mind. Um, but I think for the next, you know, we're, we're, we've grown massively this year, you know, we're 12 years old and we've nearly doubled, doubled our business this year. And I think it's just because we've been digital focused. Um, and then, you know, we've got the foundations, right. We've got our supply chain, right. We've got our merchandise management, right. Our demand planning. We've got an amazing culture all comes down to people. We'd never be able to do that if I had a shit culture. We've got an amazing team, amazing people. 
Um, clarity is everything. So we just, we've got this whole thing where we over communicate within the business and then obviously all marketing, right? You can have the best product in the world, but if nobody knows about it, nobody knows about it. You ain't got no business. So how good, um, how good, how good was our ROAS during our COVID when everyone wasn't spending any money on marketing for our, our oh, Facebook ads been was so cheap. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but we right. ran out of product. I was, I was filthy because I just yeah. wanted to keep loading up into Facebook ads. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bro, great problem to have, man. That's yeah. why you needed a mom planner, man. Oh, no. Yeah. Fuck, I'm learning, bro. I'm weight. learning. We're in gold. <laughs> um, so, last sort of question from me. I've got a couple of Q&As from uh, fans and stuff as well. But how do you spend your day? What is uh, so, I wake up. I live out in, um, so obviously, it's what we're saying off air. Um, our office is based next to Eden in Morningside, next to Eden Park. So we're based there. So I live out in a place called Piha. For those that don't know, Piha. Are you all the way out there, bro? Yeah, man. So I work. I live out there. Um, my wife really wanted to live there. I was very anti it, and it was honestly the best move we made as a family. Um, so that's thirty-five minutes away. So I have to start super early, like six o'clock, and it gets takes me thirty-five minutes. Or I start a little bit later, around nine, drop my kids to to school, start a little bit later. And then um, always got the, the you know audio on audio book or a podcast, so just like university on wheels every single day, and uh, get to work. And um, I've already kind of planned, mapped out what I want to do. So I'll just like talk to you know production, and then Will, who's our head head of digital, kind of talk to those guys, talk to the team, and then I um, just kind of tackle tackle the day, do what needs to be done. I, I focus on outcomes, not tasks, because I think if you focus on tasks, you just get busy being busy but you're not actually being productive you're not moving the needle so i'm just outcome focused so it means i do less but what i do do it actually moves the needle forward and then um i go to the gym maybe four times a day at lunch so i don't really have lunch sit down i go to the gym so just you know hour and a half cardio lifting a bit of weight just changes my physiology and i feel fantastic you know and then um finish work you know whether it be six o'clock or whatever Five o'clock, go home. Like last night, went home at six, went for a surf with my kids. You know, our Piha, the waves were pretty good. Um, just kind of connect with nature and then have dinner with my family and chill with my wife. And then I try to do a bit of reading as well before I go to bed. Uh, usually in the morning as well, I forgot. So I uh, I do a lot of breath work, uh, that Wim Hof. Yep. Just yeah, yeah. Keep breathing. And then I do that and, I, and then I get into meditation. So I really focus on three things I'm grateful for. So that way, if you're in a grateful state and a happy state, you can't be miserable. You know what I mean? How, how, how disgusting is it seeing real rich, wealthy people that are miserable? It's like, dude, you've got like, get your shit together. You know what I mean? I just don't want to be, I don't want to be like that. I, I want to be, I'm not, not saying that. I just don't want, I just want to make sure that I'm always focused on what I'm grateful for and what I do have rather than focused on what I don't have, you know? So I really try to, um, you know, start my days like that. And then I just have a bulletproof coffee. So black coffee with butter and MCT oil. And then I pop a, pop a few supplements, rhodiola, um, which is amazing for cognitive function and a, and a supplement called Brahmi, which is really good for cognitive function. And then um, and L-theanine, which is an amino acid from green tea, so without the caffeine, so it kind of gets you into that flow state. And I don't eat till um, I don't eat, so I intermittent fast till like one o'clock. So and then I'll have a protein shake, and then um, all go, bro. Yeah. And then in my weekends, just chill with the fam, friends. I don't really drink anymore because my wife's been sober for a year, um, so I don't really drink. And then I uh, just try to enjoy life, bro. Yeah, hang with my family. Go see my parents on Sundays. 
pretty simple, bro. Yeah, it's good. Fuck, I love it, bro. I love it. I love it. All right, I'm going to give you a couple of questions from uh, people. Uh, when's the podcast coming back? Uh, yeah, man, we just had a bit of a break just with COVID and just being focused on, um, like, you, you know a bit of anyone. We're heading into selling season and uh, silly season, should I say, silly slash selling season. Christmas coming up, Black Friday, so we're doing a lot of work there. So we had a bit of, um, since we've grown, you know, nearly 8% this year because of systems, things things got broken. So I've been spending a lot of time fixing that. And uh, now I think we've got a real good structure in place. So we're going to start ripping back into the podcast. I've got a few episodes lined up already. This will be one of them, if you don't mind. Yeah, Andrew, um, take it, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah, bro. Nah, back in it, man. Back in it. Yeah. Full um, full Black Friday, how far do you plan for that? This is just a personal question. And do you create um, original product for that as well? Or is it just kind of trying to get rid of old stock? A uh, bit, of, bit of a mixture. Eh? Mm. This year, we're actually going to be doing a Black Friday drop. So Black Letterman, Black Boxer, Black Hood, Black Socks, you know, just making sure that we're still doing the drops within it. We usually talk about it, you know, maybe four months in advance to see if there's actual additional stock that we need to be buying, purchasing for that specifically. Mm. Uh, but now, you know, we're going to have everything locked and loaded by mid next week. You know, we've been planning pretty aggressively on it for the last three, four weeks. And that's um, just in terms of the team, the structure, uh, what are going to be the stress points of the business? Because once you head into Black Friday, you're, you're straight into Christmas, which is just a hectic season. So therefore, customer service is going to get, um, you know, really squeezed. Uh, warehouse is going to get squeezed. Digital is going to get squeezed. Accounting is going to get squeezed. You know, mm-hmm. those are... Retail is going to get squeezed. So those are the areas of the business that we're really focusing on. Um, but yeah, we're trying to trying to plan it as much in advance as possible. I'd love to get to the point where we don't do it. Um, I just don't have the kahunas yet to do that. Well, Black Friday. <laughs> yeah, man. I'd yeah. Love to just be, nah. I've- Screw, screw you not doing it yeah <laughs> I, 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 I'm, we're half contemplating not doing it this year eh because obviously yeah, like yeah. amateur levels but we'll probably do it anyway because people yeah, just expect it don't they <laughs> yeah bro yeah yeah consumer conditioning man but how quick do you, how early do you get a launch now for a Black Friday uh, you, we usually so I think Black Friday is on the 27th I believe and we usually do it a few days before so yeah um, maybe three, four days before, something like that. I've, I've yeah. seen, I'm seeing some people go up now. Like, relax, oh, bro. Definitely. relax. The thing, is, the thing is, is like that is because they've got deeper problems. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like the thing is, if you're going on a, if you're going on a Christmas sale or a Black Friday now, when you're in like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, that's just an excuse for a deeper problem. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Trying to get rid of the stock, eh, bro? Yeah, bro. Absolutely. <laughs> Like, come on, bro. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, people think, uh, like, obviously, when you run a brand, like, people was, why are you guys never go on sale on that? It's like, oh, we just don't need to. So it's a good Absolutely, problem for man. us to have here. And it dilutes yeah, your brand too, doesn't it? If you're doing the fundamentals right, you don't need to go on sale, right? Mm. Um, how often does Apple go on sale? How often never. does Mercedes go on sale? <laughs> yeah. How often does Tesla go on sale? Bro, you can't even get their product. Even if you wanted to pay double, you can't get it. You know what I mean? And it's like, if you do that, you never have to go on sale. Sale, going on sale is like a drug. And the thing is, is like, you feel damn good at the moment. It's a dopamine hit to the business and the cash flow, but the long-term effects are bad. You become hooked, you become a junkie, relationships fall off, and then your whole life just turns to shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a personal question as well. What's your, what's your most favorite product that you've ever made with Fire Love Ugly? Um, 
Is it, is it the late armor baseball shit? I feel like that's my favorite, yeah, yeah. eh? Yeah, yeah, I really like that, bro. Um, but I think this, this leather goods collection that we got coming up, man, is beautiful, you know? It's great marketing here. Yeah, great marketing, bro. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's Louis Vuitton quality, and it's just kind of nice to do something outside of just garments, you know what I mean? Mm. I, um, I really enjoy doing stuff outside of just, just garments because I'm still fully involved in the whole product process. Um, Cause that's the currency of our brand. You know, if we've got crap products as well, no matter how good your marketing and how good the infrastructure is, you're going to fall short. But I'm really enjoying these leather goods that we're about to launch in a couple of weeks, man. It's been my um, favorite to date. All right. Got me sold. I'll buy one. <laughs> nice, man. Um, in a saturated market, how do you stay relevant? We'll sort of touch on this, but it's kind of a shorter version of yeah, this question. Yeah, yeah. How do you stay relevant? I think it's also just being, being unique, being authentic. Don't sway to the trends and what other people are doing. Uh, be bold, be experimental. Don't do any nude campaigns. Um, <laughs> you know, and just making sure that you're constantly schooling up about market trends and stuff. Because I think it's one thing, don't, you know, you don't have to kind of conform to them, but also at the same time, don't be ignorant to them. And I think, you know, we've seen this with companies like look at Kodak. Kodak could have easily pivoted to the digital camera market. They didn't because they had tons of, of film that they had to sell. So they wanted to do that before going into that market. And now Kodak, I don't even know if they exist anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and the market's moving so, so quickly nowadays is you have to be relevant. You have to school yourself up about what's going on. That's how you stay relevant. Um, I heard Kanye, I read a tweet from Kanye West one time and he said a hoodie's a hoodie and uh, that's, that's how I genuinely believe clothes are and everything above it is, hey, like, and you talk about how someone feels when they wear a white t-shirt from I, I yeah, Love yeah. Ugly. I feel like marketing Absolutely. and branding is, is how you stay relevant in a saturated market. Yeah. Definitely, man. Definitely. Absolutely. And marketing uh, is where, sorry, sorry to interrupt, marketing is where, you know, a company will come along and they'll buy you for 20 times EBIT. You know mm. what I mean? Because it's like the brand, the brand is the value. That's why creative directors and people like that, you know, are so in demand. Um, because it's like this invisible force, this aura around your brand. That's, you know, that's uh, you can't you can't fabricate that. You can't fake that. Um, it's just yeah, something special. You know, you know, you know when there's brands or there's a person, there's just something special about them. Mm. Um, yeah, you can't you can't fake that. Money can't just buy that off a shelf. You know. Um, I find that now, like I, I only tend to buy brands that I do know the founder of, or I do know what their brand's about. I think it's super important right now. Like a lot of people don't realize when they go into a general pants over here and like we talked about vertical brands before, um, general pants actually own all those brands in there and it looks like you're oh, getting wow. a, yeah, that, that, it looks like you're getting a bunch of different options, but they're all just from the same supplier with a different name on it. So, and once sure. someone, once someone told me that, I was like, and I started looking around and all their product does start to look like very similar after yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, those guys, you know, the problem with those guys is their the products. So what they, you know, you know this, it's like, so they get, they're a multi-brand and they get all the different brands and they're like, hey, a product from this brand sells real well. Let's just create a new brand and, and copy that product and just slap it in our stores. The problem with that is there's no soul. And it's like people go to, they interact with that product or that brand and it's just, it feels lifeless, you know what I mean? And I think you're so right. Like people now want to more than ever transparency and also they want to invest by not only buying a product but they want to actually invest invest their hard-earned money into that product and um and you, you you've got a better shot at it when you're you know when you are actually being transparent and showing the process and doing things like this 
uh, you better shot of surviving. Did, did that happen with you guys in Culture Kings with your pants back in the day? Yeah, yeah. Well, they just yeah back back, back in the day because they they bought like I think it was like five hundred pairs and they sold out and they wanted to do another order and we couldn't really fulfill it. But then we got a bunch of backlash from our consumer and also all our wholesalers. Like you're in Culture Kings, you sold out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, but I think those guys will be the prime example. I'm pretty sure they duplicated that pant. Oh yeah, hundred percent they did. Yeah, twenty other in-house brand names on it. Crazy. Mm. <laughs> um, how do you deal with friends that don't support your business when you first starting out? Um, did you not, have that? They're not, they're not friends, you know. A true friends through thick and thin, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of friction to begin with because maybe you know you become a bit cocky or arrogant if you get a few wins and then they get a bit jealous or whatever. But no, I don't have it anymore, man. I've got. You know, the friends I have today are the friends that um, have, have stuck by me through thick and thin. The funny thing is, is when I went through all that shit in 2017, I lost a lot of friends. All of a sudden, mm. I didn't want to didn't hang out. Think, you know, they didn't want to be associated with someone that was going through failure. But it's just like, you know, it's the hard times that really reveal the true characteristics and colors of people, you know what I mean? Same thing with your partner. Um, you know, I know, like my wife, we got closer during the hard times and... Um, yeah so yeah friends that don't support you screw them you know but it might be it might just be maybe maybe you're acting too arrogant and like a dick or maybe you just need to talk to them as well mm, that's true um you talked about kanye west and one of the questions was was here did you get the kanye effect when he was wearing your pants yeah what's the kanye effect i think it must just be increasing sales it must be like sort of like oh, joe rogan bump yeah not 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 really because it wasn't i think if it was it was a hoodie that said i love ugly yeah true different. Yeah, pants silhouette. I don't know. Anyone can claim that, really, you know. Um, I know we did when we got the ASOP, ASAP Rocky, because um, it was like the distinguishable triangle on the back of it. And he was wearing it um, South by Southwest and Coachella. And he was like, you know, bumping them was his favorite pant. Mm. And um, that, was, that was pretty easy just because of the triangle. Um, but for this Kanye thing, not, not as much as I'd like to. I'd love, I'd love that though. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, last question. My Instagram ads aren't working. What am I doing wrong? Uh, <laughs> One, do you, know, do you know what you're doing? That's the fucking first yeah, question. Yeah, do you know what you're doing? Maybe the creative sucks or maybe just the product is not that good. Mm. Um, I think you've got to ask yourself these questions, you know what I mean? I think the best thing to do is actually – you know, in any business, just asking people that aren't your friends and not your mother, would you buy this product and how much would you spend for it? Spend spend on it, um, and ask people to be damn honest. If you don't, if you feel that people aren't going to be honest, get them to write their answers and put it in a hat anonymously, and uh, that will give you the answer. We always have this thing when we make our products: is we ask staff, "Would you buy this? Not would you wear this, or do you like this? Would you actually buy this?" Mm. And um, get some pretty revealing answers. But if your Facebook ads aren't working, yeah, man, you just got to go back, unpick it, figure out why. Yeah, there's, um, obviously there's always three parts to an ad, like the creative, the targeting, and the actual product itself. So, And you're spot on. Like if Gary Vee talks about this all the time. Like if, if you do marketing well and your product's not good, you're just going to put yourself out of business a lot quicker. Yeah, man, absolutely, yeah. bro. And you, as we said, you, know, you can have the uh, best marketing in the world, but yeah, if, they, if, you, if you're leading them to a product that sucks, <laughs> you're getting returns or terrible reviews, then, man, that's, uh, it's not going to last very long. Do you start, um, you know, when you put the handwriting and uh, the notes in a hat, start tracking down their handwriting? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, bro, Devin, what are you up to? Man? <laughs> All the spelling errors in there and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, man. Exactly. All right. All right, bro. I just want to thank you for jumping on, giving me your time, giving me your knowledge. Um, I've always been a fan of I Love Ugly as a consumer, and now I'm a fan of you as an entrepreneur and a leader and someone I look up to um, as a leader and entrepreneur. And also, I'll always be a consumer, bro. I, lo- I love ugly. I love, oh, I love ugly. I appreciate it, man. And yeah, the feel- feelings mutual. I love you know the hustle and the online presence as well, what you're doing. Um, you know, and you're, you're also playing the long game as well, which I think um, you know, people need to take note. People try stuff and if they don't get that massive success in the first month or two, they quit. <laughs> you got to keep pursuing it, man. Success doesn't just stumble across you. You got to pursue it and it's a journey. It's not a destination. And uh, one of the worst things that can happen to you is short-term success because it kind of tricks you into thinking that you're a god and that you've got the Midas touch. But actually, short-term success can actually be one of the biggest, you know, it can be one of the biggest failures. It can be your Achilles heel. So, um, yeah, be patient to all the listeners. Thank you so much, bro, for having me on. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate the love and support. So, fantastic. We'll catch up in a year, eh? We'll see where we're at in a year's time. It'll be, be interesting. Bro, would love to, man. Absolutely, mm. brother. All right, brother. Thanks for jumping on. Easy, bro. You take care. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and found any type of value, please subscribe to our podcast share with your friends and give us a five-star review on iTunes to be in the draw to win a $200 I Love Ugly gift voucher. We will be drawing a winner monthly. Good luck and see you on the next episode.